We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. So you may have started noticing that there's some strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not actually beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They'll also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. See, what you may not know is that most plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore, and the plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with our store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday, P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Well, hello and welcome in to Pack a Day podcast live. I am your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can also follow my guest on Twitter. You can follow him at Peter underscore Bukowski, of course, is the co-founder of The Leap. And I guess he kind of does Locked On Packers podcast as well. So check him out there every once in a while. Uh, He's got to keep the lights on too. So Peter, I know we had the opportunity to do a little bit of a home and home, had the opportunity to talk on Locked On Packers with you yesterday, which was phenomenal. I'm so thankful for you joining me today here on Packaday Live. How the heck are you doing? I'm good. Unfortunately, I have like a lot of lights right now, so like I it it would it would really benefit me if you could help keep me on because they, 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 I got studio lights, I've got desk lights, like we've got to we've got to keep a lot of lights on around here. Yes, you do. So again, make sure follow Locked On Podcast. Peter does a phenomenal job, and I'm ready to pick your brain today because we've got a lot of things to discuss. There are 
no lack of topics. I was actually talking to Aaron Nagler today, and I think it's like funny how the special teams basically imploded again in the same way that they did against the 49ers in the divisional round. And it's like a footnote of crap that had even a discussion point. But I want to start by asking you, the floor is yours. You can vent and go in any direction that you want. What is your biggest point of umbrage with the Packers right now? Oh my goodness. Um, how much time do you have? I guess we we're going to go long as much on this. Time as you have. I was just going to say, we're going long on this, aren't we? So man, there's a lot. Um, I, I, I just, I guess I don't get it. I don't get it because they're screwing things up that they didn't screw up last year. And then they're also screwing things up that they did screw up last year. And it's just sort of like, well, so then what, what is happening? What, what, what is going on? What, what went on over the off season? What went on at training camp? I made the joke on Twitter that like, it seems like at practice when the media is not around, they go inside and, and are like watching homeward bound on the wheel in TV. Like there's a substitute teacher in the classroom. Like I don't understand. And then what's, I think maybe even more frustrating is you see them like the defense in the first half just play great just play terrific football and and the field goal that they allow is because Aaron Rodgers and AJ Dillon can't complete a basic handoff and that is the three points otherwise they had totally locked down this Jets offense and then in the second half they just like forget how to play football and that's the part that's so frustrating is they can look so good for stretches and then just forget how to play. And it's guys that you don't expect doing those things. It's Elton Jenkins, who we thought just like, yeah, I don't care coming off the ACL plug and play right tackle. He's been bad. Like, let's call it what it is. He's been bad. And it, you know, uh, John Runyon Jr. Having his worst pass protection game in the worst possible situation when Royce Newman is also getting dog walked by Quinn Williams up and down the field and Sheldon Rankins and Elton Jenkins is not playing well. It's like, okay, cool. David Bakhtiari had the highest offensive tackle grade in by poor football focus this week. This, and like, it doesn't matter at all because the rest of the line could not block anybody. So it's just, it's, it's everything. It's like, what, what did, what did Adam Schefter say? An accumulation of, of information. Like, that's what it is so far this season. It's an accumulation of mistakes that have led them to this moment. And it's really hard to just say, okay, it's this one thing. If they fix this one thing, everything's fine. No, they've got to fix like five things. One of my favorite pieces of writing ever is there was a, there was a Weezer review on pitchfork.com <laughs> and it's so good because they, I don't, I forget which awful album, like more recent album of theirs it was, but it was a terrible Weezer album. And the whole purpose of the review was to basically say, this album is so awful that now I have to go back and question all of their other, what I thought were great <laughs> albums, because yeah. there's no way that this, the, the people who wrote this album could have ever at any point in time wrote anything good in the past. So now I have to go back and question everything in the past. It's a phenomenal article, but like, it's not quite to that point yet, but like the brand of football that Green Bay has been playing, like makes me call up things that have happened in the past over the last three you know years with Matt LaFleur and be like, almost like re-question things of like, 
were, were we just kind of tricked at times? Were there certain players like Aaron Rodgers playing at MVP level and Devontae Adams on God mode that just kind of covered a lot of mistakes? And I don't think it's just that. As you mentioned, there are things right now that we saw be good that are just not good right now. And that's really tough to explain away. But like a part of me is like now going back and being like, man, like what is going on? This brand of football looks nothing like the three 13 win season, 13 win season we saw over the last. Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, please do. You, you sort of, you, you flipped it on me on my show. So I'm going to flip it on you on yours. Yes, please do. Um, What is their brand of football? I, is that, is that the question for me? Like, yeah. So I, I actually, <laughs> do they have one? I, yeah. Yes. No, I, I opened the, the podcast the other day with like, I don't know what their identity is. I, I legitimately don't know what they're trying to accomplish offensively, defensively. It seemed like defensively, they wanted the identity of playing off coverage, making sure they're not getting beat deep. And we're, you know, in their sixth game of the season, they basically had to scrap everything of what they thought their identity was going to be because they realized that the players and system didn't marry each other very well. So in week six, week five, we had a crisis of identity on defense already to the point where they basically had to change where players were playing, get linebackers off the field, put Amos in the box, Rudy Ford at safety, uh, Jair in the slot, play more press man, and basically scrap their identity from the first five games of the season and really what they wanted to accomplish. Which kudos to them for adjusting. Like that. Absolutely. That like I think that's a good thing, by the way. Very much so. But like they had to scrap their identity defensively. Offensively, you there is nothing that you could point to through six weeks in the season to say, like, this is who we are. And I get that, like Mike, you know, that Matt LaFleur wants to attack whatever the defense is giving them. And we heard Adam Stenovich say something very similar in his press conference last week of basically like, listen, if they're going to give us single press man or, you know, one-on-one man-to-man coverage on the outside press man, and they're going to give us those opportunities to hit shots on the field, we need to execute and hit shots on the field, which sounds great, but you can't. So like, then you have to change your identity. And I don't think they have a great idea of what they want to do offensively right now. Yeah. What's the counter? Like this was, I thought, um, one of the uh, the really great um, writers over at Acme Packing Company, Rich, did a did a really good thread about how Robert Sala had just scouted all the play action looks. Like CJ Mosley was underneath every play action inbreaker that they had, every glance route, every dig route. He was just underneath it because he knows that when this team wants to go play action, they want to hit that backside dig or that glance or whatever whatever it is that they're running, whether it's strike or drift or whatever they're whatever they're calling. And it's like, okay, so then where do you go? And they didn't have a lot of answers for that. And so they need to get to those answers. And what are they in the dropback game? What do they call besides, you know, like the same two shot plays over and over? I, like, I really liked the fourth and one play, the, the motion into the slot fade. That's a really cool concept. And that's a great way to get Romeo Dobbs free. I hate that call on fourth and two. Hate that call. Like what, what is that? Um, and so it's like, they have these cool plays, but they're situationally not working. They have concepts that, that seem to really work in the run game. All the, these new pin pull runs that they're, they're doing are really cool. What did they call two against the jets? Like that was the place. And I think you even mentioned it, um, whether it was in a video or, or in a, in a tweet, it was something that I had talked to dusty about coming in our pal, dusty Evely, like, if you want to beat the Jets, get to the, you can outflank them. You can get to the edge. And then they tried to run inside all game against Quinnen Williams and Sheldon Rankins, and they're just getting blown up. And it's just like, what is happening? The couple times they ran to the outside, it worked.
And I, you know, one got called back because Elton Jenkins held and, and it was like, okay, well, so that, that's going to happen. That's okay. But it just like, what do they want to be? And I, I don't, I don't know. And, and I do think even though Matt LaFleur was joking a little bit when he said, I don't know what, what that means about simplifying the offense. I think that exchange perfectly encapsulates the issues that they're having right now in that I think Matt LaFleur wants the offense to be one thing. I think Aaron Rodgers wants the offense to be something, something, I don't want to say something else, but something different because I don't think it's something else. Like it's just something that, that is a little different and they need to find whatever balance they need to find this year. Each of the last two seasons, they found a balance of Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur being Matt LaFleur. They haven't found that balance this year. And Andy, I also think it's, it's, it's easy to forget. And I actually think your grades do a good job of encapsulating this. Thank you. Last year through eight games, this offense was not very good. And they couldn't hit shots downfield. And then they started hitting them. Like Jake Morley at Packer Report was, was tr- tracking this. Like Rodgers was the worst deep ball thrower in the league among, among regular starters last year for like six straight weeks. And he hasn't found that touch yet this year. If they can do that, that opens up so much for this offense but they can't yet. So what, what are they going to hang their hat on in, in the interim? Last year it was Devontae Adams. You lose Peter. Oh, there we go. Last year was Devontae Adams. And it was, you know, like get, get a little lucky with some turnovers, like against Arizona with no receivers. They got a little lucky with some turnovers at the end, Russell Douglas, et cetera. But I don't know what they're going to hang their hat on here while they're figuring this all out. And without Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, we'll see when he comes back. Like, I don't I don't know where the where the answers are other than fix the offensive line and see what that can do. There's so much that you said that I want to hit on. I do think for the last part, you mentioned how you know some of those shot plays were not hitting a year ago, and then they started to hit, and that certainly changed how the offense was playing. I do think, and you kind of mentioned this at the end of yesterday's show and, and kind of our, our hint of optimism at the end. I do think there's a world where you know we always talk when things are going really well. And you actually usually do a great job of this of like how things will always regress back to the mean. Mm. I do think there's a world where it's the exact opposite in this situation where like all of a sudden your offensive line, like linemen remember how to block and Aaron Rodgers remembers how to beautifully throw a deep pass. And you start hitting some of those shot plays and like they have not got turnovers at all. And we know how those can come in bunches. And like all of a sudden you win the turnover battle and you hit a couple shot plays that you haven't been hitting and your offensive line starts blocking a little bit better up front. And like, you all of a sudden those three things happen and you're talking about a much different team and a much different record in a very short period of time. Now that's easier said than done. I don't think that happens overnight. Uh, but I do think there's a world where some of those things start clicking a little bit better and we start seeing a totally different brand of football. I want to go back to your point though, of how there was a very obvious opportunity to uh, like sort of outflank them. Matt LaFleur mentioned in his press conference that they thought there was a really strong opportunity to attack the middle of the field out of shotgun formation. Didn't do that either. No, 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 they didn't do that either. But I've (laughs) for, for two weeks now against the Giants, it was very clearly evident that all they did against the Bears was do run, you know, run the football and go play action and bootleg over and over to an extent that I have never seen a team run before. And Mike Wall talked about it. I talked about it. I'm sure you talked about it. Like everyone talked about this is what they do. 
And I was actually in a weird way, like complimented the bears or thanked the bears for like, Hey, thanks for kind of figuring it out in the second half where you're kind of bringing a guy off the the backside and just making sure that there's somebody to account for Danny dimes every time. Um, so that, you know, you've kind of got your bases covered and they can't keep doing that. They, the, the bears sort of put the blueprint together in the second half. The Packers didn't follow it at all. And TJ Slayton says after the game, uh, we were really surprised by how much play action and bootleg they did in that game. And it's like, what either, how, either, how are you not prepared or how is the message? If, if, if they were prepared, how, why is that message not getting across to the players? Because that is extremely concerning. And then this week, as Mike Wall mentioned it, you mentioned it, I mentioned it. There's a lot of opportunity to outflank them, get some of those toss plays to the outside. And they barely attempted it whatsoever. And then the other thing is, Matt, as mentioned, Matt LaFleur said they wanted to attack the middle of the field against the Jets. They didn't even try. Like the, Aaron Rodgers didn't even look in that direction. So those are all concerning things. And then lastly, from a game planning scheme standpoint, is you can like one of the easy, very, very easy things to tell on tape for the Jets as well is they are a gap you know, penetrating front. They want to shoot those gaps over and over, use the speed and athleticism of Rankins and Quinn and Williams. And you would have thought that they had never expected that coming at all. The way that those guys were shooting through basically everything they had wide splits. They were basically inviting them to come up the field, like just the game planning and the attention to detail over the past two weeks is maybe the thing that has me most concerned because that is stuff that just can't go unnoticed. What's what's really particularly frustrating about the bootleg thing, aside from the like being surprised that that's what they're going to do because it's all they do, is you go back a couple years, the Packers couldn't run it. The Vikings couldn't run it. Teams stopped running those naked actions because everyone was crashing that backside end at the QB. Yep. And the first team, in fact, um, someone over at Zone Coverage wrote about this um, who covers the Vikings, that it was the Packers with Mike Patton who put the blueprint together with Preston Smith. And it was Preston Smith coming into the face of the quarterback and, and the Vikings had to stop running it because everyone started doing that against the Vikings. And then everyone started doing it against the Packers and the Packers like scrapped the play. They did. They didn't even run it because everyone had the blueprint for it. And then the Packers were just like, really? Wait, how do we do this again? And it's, I just like, how do you like, that is the part that is so frustrating that I mentioned at the top, like this is stuff they were doing last year. Preston Smith was doing this on bootlegs last year. And yet in a game where you have an offense that all they do is run these play actions and these bootlegs, they didn't have someone there. And it's just like, I I don't understand how that can be true. It's the same players. It's the same coaches. You were doing it last year. Why are you not doing it this year? There's no good explanation for that. I, I can't account for it. And that's why this is so bizarre. Um, now, what I was what I was sort of hanging my hat on coming into this season was I went back and I looked at all the games against playoff quarterbacks last year. And if you look at them, they they beat up Patrick Mahomes, one of the Patrick Mahomes' worst games. Yep. Russell Wilson. And it turns out Russell Wilson might be cooked, but they shut out Russell Wilson. Uh Joe Burrow, they played really well against, and especially if you take away the one fluky second reaction heave where Darnell Savage misplays the ball to Jamar Chase. They played pretty well against Joe Burrow. They played really well against Kyler Murray. And they played really well against Jimmy G, including in the actual playoff game. That's the list of playoff quarterbacks that they played last year. Really, really good games. It was the games against the Browns where they couldn't, Nick Chubb had 500 yards. 
And it was the game against Tyler Huntley where they allowed the, the Ravens to come back from 17 down. It was these stupid games. Well, this year, they're losing the stupid games. And last year, they won some of them. And so, on a, you know, you, you mentioned the regression thing. Some of this is just sort of like, it's not even close game regression, although the Giants game was a, technically one of those one-score games. Uh, this Jets game wasn't. And it's it's doing stuff that you just don't understand. Like they fumbling exchanges. This is the second fumbled exchange in six weeks. I, did they have one of those last year? Like it's it's stuff that you just don't expect. Now the special teams, you know, bedwettings, we kind of expect like at this point. Um, yes, they were supposed to have fixed it. They didn't. But think about it. 10 points, just like the, the playoff game. Yep. Special teams cost them. And another three, the turnover cost them. In a 17-point game, simple, basic turnover mistakes cost you 13 points. Think of what a different game it is if you have those 13 points back. Now, you still are fighting and scraping and clawing to beat the Jets, but you you at least make it a fight. It's at least a one-score game at the end, and you're not putting Jordan Love out there to just, like, mop up. Yeah. It's Aaron Rodgers with a chance to go win the game potentially. So again, that's the optimist case, but how can we have any faith that the special team is going to be fixed? Like they, they had a, a play where Amari Rodgers gets popped, loses the ball, it bounces right to Josiah DeGuara. No harm, no foul, except Amari Rodgers lost the ball for the millionth time in his NFL career. And it's been 20 games. Like it, it's, it's maddening that this is where we are. Yeah, the, the course corrections just haven't been good enough. I think that's very clear. It felt like last year's – this is all reactionary note, to note here too. It's it's not – you know, you're not uh, fixing it before the problem happens. You're reacting to everything, but it seemed like the divisional round loss was the special teams come to Jesus moment. It felt like the Giants game this – you know, two weeks ago is the defense has come to Jesus moment, and it feels like the offense this week is hopefully their come to Jesus moment of like figuring something out. I do think they'll – likely maybe hopefully change the offensive line a little bit uh, around and whether it's simplifying things or whatever, who knows? I know you mentioned the the simplification thing earlier. I do want to pick your brain on that. And you kind of touched on it, but so Rogers wants simplification. Matt LaFleur basically says, I'm not exactly sure what that means. You're going to have to ask Aaron and those sort of things. Uh, there was the, the clip from an interview earlier this summer of Rogers talking about how things get a little overcomplicated at times is there is there anything here? What do you make of it? And what's your biggest takeaway? Or is this much ado about nothing? Uh, I uh, Very clearly, Aaron Rodgers is having to be convinced to play the way that he's playing and has played. And if you look at the way that the team played in 2019, it was very different than the way that they played in 2020. 2020, much more under center, much more heavy play action much more motion, pre-snap motion, jet motion, all that stuff. And then in 2020, it sort of came back a little bit, right? A little, resembled a little bit more of what we saw in 19. Now, part of that is they didn't have a jet guy they trusted because they didn't think Amari could be out there. And they right. didn't have anyone else that they trusted to do that. They didn't want to waste Randall Cobb's legs doing that because that's a lot of running, right? In 2021, you mean, right? 2021, yes. And so it resembled a lot more of the 2019 in style, Though in substance, it was much better, at least in the second half. How, how am I supposed to interpret that change after you win the MVP? And I know he won the, the MVP again, in part because it was a down year for 
Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and other guys who might've won the MVP. Correct. Uh, how am I supposed to interpret that change as anything other than a reaction to what happened last spring and summer? How, like what, how can you come to any other conclusion than Rogers throws a hissy fit and comes back and the offense looks more like the way that he wants the offense to look. And we come into this season, especially without Christian Watson, jet motion down, hard play action down everything out of has Aaron Rodgers been under center and, and thrown a pass like more than 10 times this season. seems like no way more shotgun play action. And so Aaron or Aaron Rodgers is having to be convinced to play more the way that Matt LaFleur wants to play. And so I do think there is this dissonance in approach that these two team, these two people have, but they've been able to make it work to this point. I, I don't know. And I'm interested to see how much longer that's the case when the offense struggles the way that it is because Aaron Rodgers response is we need to do, we need to lean more into the way that I want to play, but it seems like Matt LaFleur's response is, and I don't know about you, but my response would be that they need to lean more into the way that Matt LaFleur wants to play because pr press the easy button. That's what Nate Tice calls it. I love that idea. Pressing the easy button. There's so much of this Shanahan tree, McVeigh tree, LaFleur tree offense that is just pressing the easy button. Define read, define throws, RPO teams to death. Aaron Rodgers could be the best RPO thrower in the history of football if he wanted to be. I was talking about this with Dusty on one of his live streams. Like he has the brain and the quick release to be the most deadly RPO quarterback we've ever seen. But he thinks that's beneath him. And I, I kind of get it because he's like, well, you're turning me into Jared Goff. But like that's he went to the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Super Bowl playing that way. Like you can, you can be really good playing that way. It doesn't all have to be on your shoulders. Let them press the easy button. And I, I, I hope that that's what ends up happening. I also, let me put my body language doctor hat on for a second. It occurs to me that there's a reason Matt LaFleur has been a little churlish at the microphone over the last two weeks. And part of that, I'm sure, is just frustration that the offense is not going the way that he wants. But it's, it's also not going the way that he wants, Andy. Like, And so I, I think part of this is there is this, this internal struggle. Now, struggle might be overstating it, right? But just like this internal dialogue. And, and I'm sure everyone is frustrated. Like, I'm sure Romeo Dobbs is frustrated. Alan Lazard is frustrated. David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Aaron Jones. I know Aaron Jones is frustrated because he's not getting the ball. And so, like, everyone is pissed off. And you know what? I think it's really good for this team to be pissed off. I Frankly, I'd like to see them a little more pissed off. Yeah. I talked to Lily Zhao about this today for our show tomorrow. I, like, I'm kind of, and maybe I'm just like Ned Yosted out of, out of like being annoyed at anyone who is just like, oh, we're fine. Like Jeff Supon gives up five runs. You're like, I think Sup pitched pretty well today. It's like, no, can we not do this? Can you be a little pissed off? Like, I, I know fans always want to see guys pissed off, but like, how can you watch... Bills Chiefs and think the Packers are capable of playing in a game with that sort of intensity. They just haven't played with that sort of intensity as a team on both sides of the ball since since when? Uh probably what? I mean there the parts of the 2019 Zedaria Smith defense or 20 was that 2020? I keep getting my years mixed up. But like when, when Z was really good and that defense was actually showing some flashes, there was a little bit of that. Like the I, defense, I, the defense played like that in in the, the playoff game. Yes. True. I think the I think the I think the last time we saw them play a full game with that sort of offensive and defensive intensity 
it was the Rams game at home because they were fired up for that game. I was at that game in the stands. I haven't been at, I haven't been in the stands as a fan in a long time. And the crowd was hot for that game. It was Thanksgiving weekend. That, that was a really, that was, that's, that was like, they need that intensity. And I don't know where that is right now. I don't know where they find it. Um, but they just, they, they need the leaders in that locker room to steady the ship a little bit. And until they do, it's, it's going to look disjointed. There, there is a, a piece of me, and this is probably being a, a little bit over-optimistic, but I do think that great teams have to go through adversity. And I do think the, the, the best teams are the ones that get punched in the face and then are ultra motivated to figure out a, to make sure that they don't get punched in the face again, and then B how to punch back and punch harder moving forward. And it all, it just felt like the last three seasons, they've had this good football team, but the first time they really got punched in the face to an extent that it felt like it mattered was in the playoffs and then it's over. And then you just go on to the off season and it's a new team and you start fresh and you don't really have that moment with your team to grow from the mistakes that you made. This is the first time Matt LaFleur's lost back-to-back regular season games, as everyone's pointed out this week. I do think there is something to that where if you can learn from that and you can grow from that and you can come together as a team from that, you can take a real step in a positive direction and it could actually help this team a lot through the remainder of the season. Of course, it very much could go the exact opposite way and division could, you know, you know, sew itself within different clicks in the locker room and all those sort of things. And, but, but losing uh, is either in pressure is either going to mold you or it's going to define you. And I think we're about to find out on this three game road trip off of two really tough losses, the two New York teams, exactly what type of uh, mental and uh, other fortitude that the Packers have moving forward. I'm not sure about you guys, but it still catches me off guard when I walk down the water aisle at the grocery store and see these new tall boys that look like beer chilling out in the middle of the bottled water section. Of course, it's not actually beer. It's Liquid Death, a new mountain spring water from the Alps that's available in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors. But why is it called Liquid Death, you may ask? Well, it's because Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Even better is that the use of their aluminum Tallboy cans is also helpful as aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Friends, bottled water has always been boring to me, but there's absolutely nothing boring about Liquid Death. I love the crisp, refreshing pop of the can when I open it, and the water simply tastes better in a can than it does out of a bottle. Add in their three unique flavors, Personally, I love the lime, and the overall experience is infinitely better than any other water product. Plus, it just looks so much cooler holding a tall boy labeled Liquid Death that looks like you're holding a crisp, refreshing beer. So do me a favor and go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, you know, they they um, they say adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. And I think we're going to find out the character of this football team in a hurry. I mean, when when Jair Alexander is saying, you know, I'll be worried after the Jets game if we play like crap against the Jets. And the defense, I, you know, by and large, didn't really just two drives in the second half. Um, but like, you know. And then he says, I, I, I'm actually not a warrior after that. And it's just sort of like, okay, well, so then at what point are you going to be a little pissed off that this is what's happening? But even Rashawn Gary, who I thought was the sort of most uh, energetic about all of this, like the word that he that he used about 400 times in in uh, the, the interviews that he did at his locker was hungry. We're hungry. Okay. Okay. I just like, I, I kind of want you to be pissed off. That yep. and and I think I think like I don't think there's a right answer. I don't think I'm right and and they're wrong for feeling that way. I think everyone has to process these things and deal with them the way that they have to deal with them. I think this is just an aesthetic thing for me. Like if you're the kind of athlete that that can just like say this is I like let's just write the ship, great. But I think fans by and large want to see the passion. They want to see the fire, and that's that the the, the thing that makes me want to see them pissed off is I want to see the fire, and that's what I don't see is guys flying around like it was clear from the first three snaps of the game which team came to play and which team came to win and the team that came to win was not the green bay packers the jets were flying around on that first possession from the jump and the packers looked annoyed that they had to play at noon like it was was, like it was so striking and i was just like "Uh uh-oh they're jet lagged and then when it was like 3-3, I was like, okay, they'll figure this out. It'll be fine in the second half and they'll win and they'll cover and all this stuff. And then it just kept it kept going away from them. And I think, I think Andy, we have to sort of recalibrate th- with this team. And I said that in t- 2019, like we just sort of have to recalibrate what success is, like winning all those ugly games. You're just like, all right, winning is the only thing that matters. Well, now they're not winning and it's ugly. Yep. And maybe the bill is just coming due from all those close games in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 that they won. And and this is like a, a true regression of all that stuff. But at the same time, they have two losses by double digits. Like those were not close games. Um, but let me let me ask you about this because I was watching I was watching the tape earlier just to watch Romeo Dobbs. I just wanted to have some happiness. I just wanted to have some happiness in my life. And so I just wanted to watch Romeo Dobbs. And man, is he fun to watch? He's just yeah. he's so smooth. He's so dynamic. And it struck me even on even on plays where he's not getting the ball when it's like there was the one play to Alan Lazard where just like 
pressure is scuttling some of these these plays at the worst possible time, like Alan Lazard on a, on a crossing route. I'm, I think it's, I, I think the concept was mesh. doesn't matter. The jets let him loose and Aaron Rodgers is about to throw it. And then all of a sudden pressure comes and he's sacked like just in a, in a flash. There was another play um, where I, I don't remember if it was off play action. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And they had a whole shot to Dobbs in cover two. And Elton Jenkins just get worked off the snap. And if and if it's just like losing 2.6 seconds instead of two seconds, Rodgers has time to make the throw and it's a potentially big play. Like they've just been so unlucky. I'll never like, I'll never get over the Vikings game. They had two or three big plays that pressure just because of like weirdness totally screwed it up. Like when, when two guys blocked each other um, and Zadarius Smith blew up that whole play. Like they had a big play to Sammy Watkins in the middle of the field. If that's just not, a total disaster from the blocking standpoint. And so that's the part of me going just like, just clean some of this stuff up. And there's so many opportunities for them to hit on some of this stuff that you're like, okay, they say that they're close. Are they really? The answer is yes, but they have to get some of this stuff fixed, but they, they really have been so unlucky as a cop out, I think, but they have been unlucky in that some of the pressure, and I think this is why the pressure numbers seem worse than they are. They're actually, Rodgers is only facing pressure marginally more this year than last year. It's 29% versus 26.5% last year in terms of dropbacks. But the pressure is more catastrophic this year because, number one, it's usually on third down. And number two, they it, it always seems to be on plays where they have something good set up and they can't get to it. And you're just like, oh, if they could have only gotten to that thing it's a big play and the whole game changes. Yeah, so. no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think when I watch Romeo Dobbs this year, I was, and again, I'm not saying that they're going to be the same player or anything like that, but it reminded me a lot of, I think it was Devonte Adams third season um, where he was just starting to really come into his own. And that was when, you know, Nelson was obviously Roger's favorite target and he would constantly look at Nelson as his first read in his progression. And I, I don't necessarily think that that's the, it's the same apples to apples, but I remember watching it that season and being like, Adam, Adams is getting open on like almost every play. And like Nelson was obviously like winding down and not getting the same separation, but the first look was always to Nelson. And then it would, maybe we would get to Adams and to your unlucky point, I swear on everything. It was like, every time he looked to Adams was like the one play he did not get open on the play. That <laughs> right. Like I swear on everything. And it was the most <laughs> frustrating thing in the world watching the all 22 that year, because it was like Adams open, 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 doesn't get a glance. And then finally they're like, all right, we're going to go to Adams this play. And just by like stupid happenstance, it's the play that he's not open. And like, that's a little bit what I get out of watching the Romeo Dobbs experience this year of like, it's like every time that he's breaking wide open due to a smooth, ridiculous, beautiful, gorgeous route, it's like either the offensive line breaks down or Rogers is looking the other way or the ball just is, you know, and the one time he dropped it and like, it just is like, hasn't connected yet. The fact that this guy isn't above 10 yards per reception yet with how he is beating guys on the outside is just like beyond stupid because you see it over and over on tape of him getting open down the field. And it's just like, it's bound to click eventually because I just, I just don't know how it could. It, it happens way too often. There was one play and this, this play just sort of annoyed me because they had Dobbs on, I can't remember if it was a corner. I think it was a corner out and he beats the corner. The safety comes over to help. And he's because the safety is coming horizontally 
and Dobbs is already in sixth gear. Yep. He just flies right by the safety. And if the ball is out front, it's a touchdown. Now, it's a 50-yard throw from where Aaron Rodgers is because it's it's a it's a deep deep route and it was a yeah. seven-step concept. And Rodgers misses him by 15 yards. I mean, that's woefully underthrown. Right? The, yeah, the wind was swirling. And Rodgers said the Aaron Jones throw was affected by the wind. And so, like, some of this is, a, is, is just sort of wonkiness. But it's like, man, he was clean down the field. There was another play, um, on the Aaron Jones play that I just mentioned. Romeo Dobbs runs right by the corner on that side of the field, like just absolutely works him to the top. And DJ Reed is playing his butt off this year. He's a really good player. And Dobbs just ran right by him a couple of times. And again, that's another one. If, if Rogers is looking now safety shaded to that side, right? So the right read is to Jones. Yep. But Romeo Dobbs is open. And uh, it's so funny that you brought up um, that season. um, The 16 season, was it? I think it's right around there. Yeah. Um, because 17 was mostly Brett Hundley. Yep. You're right. It's so 16. I always go back and, and um, Jason Hershorn and I have talked about this, my co-founder at the leap. In fact, we, we wrote a little blurb about it earlier in the season that we, after the 14 season, that first game, they had Devontae Adams against Richard Sherman as a sacrificial lamb. They never lined up Jordy Nelson to the right to Richard Sherman's side. And that was intentional. Obviously they wanted Nelson against, I forget who, who in 14, who the, the other corner was at that time. They, they had a couple in that Legion of boom run. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. There were a couple of times when, when Devante beat Richard Sherman on like in breakers on slants and skinny posts. And Jason and I were just sort of like, we were watching the all 22 texting each other. Like, are you watching this? Like he's beating Richard Sherman. And not getting looks, obviously, because it's a rookie against Richard Sherman. But there were times when he's open and it's like, wait a second. What is this? Like, could this guy be really good? Is this like, could this really be something? And I, I, you know, obviously, I I don't think either of us are saying, and I hate that we have to add these caveats. Neither of us are saying we expect Romeo Dobbs to become the best receiver in football, which is what Devontae Adams is. (laughs) But I think it is worth saying that he is open more often than he's getting the ball. And I would just like to see them feature him a little bit more. Now, that's weird to say for a guy leading the team in targets um, and a second on the team in receptions behind Tunyon. And a lot of those Tunyon p- passes are outlet passes that are just sort of like, okay, one, two, bang, here's here's Bobby underneath. Um, and Rodgers is lucky if he's getting to two <laughs> before pressure's in his face. Yep. But the, the Dobbs stuff is so tantalizing. And he, like the fact that they really have only thrown to him once deep. He caught it and then couldn't finish it is so heartbreaking because that could have just been the like codification of everything. Like, okay, this is his coming out party. He's here. He's, he is the guy now. And in a lot of ways he still is. They ran um, the, the 11 personnel version of the 21 personnel concept that they run from split gun, where it's the RPO to one side and the swing screen to the other side. They ran it with Dobbs in the backfield just as a way to get him a touch. Yep. Like that is, I think proof that they see what you and I see on tape, that this guy just needs chances. He just needs opportunities. They called the fourth down play for him. Like I think sooner rather than later, we're going to see games where he's got 10 
12 targets because it's going to become obvious he's the best receiver on this team. And with some of the injuries, I think they're just going to have to, too. And hopefully yeah, they're not going to have a choice. It's, it's, it might be a happy accident uh, in, in a way, too, because it, it should be that way because that's the way he's playing. Um, but I think, like you said, it, it's just going to happen. He's, he's too good for it not to happen. I'll, I'll, one more question. And I'll get you out of here. The receivers is, of course, the, the big topic. We, we've, we've you know touched on the offensive line quite a bit. Everyone wants to trade for a wide receiver. I know there was some rumblings out there on Twitter that the Packers are calling around for wide receivers. It's really tough to find a wide receiver that makes sense financially that would fit the team for a team that's actually would potentially be in sell mode. There's not many teams that would potentially be in sell mode right now um, because of just like everyone's like either, you know, three and basically everyone's in three and three or like a game above or below it. And yeah, I don't know. Is there a name? Like I know the Kendrick Bourne, I know the Chase Claypool. Those are a couple of names that have been thrown out there. Is there anything that makes sense or tantalizing to you out there? Or is this just going to have to be the receivers that they have the rest of the year? So I do believe that they are actively trying to add. And um, I mentioned our, our pal Jason. Um, he reported um, that in the spring, the Packers made serious overtures to get Corey Davis from the Jets. And the Jets were just like not interested. Um, they were trying and I had heard other bigger names. The Packers made calls about trying to get, you know, some, some West coast teams to give up some, some players that you've certainly heard of. Um, and they weren't able to do it. So it's not like the Packers are just like chill with what's going on. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone should assume that they're just fine with it. Um, but some of these names like, okay, the Patriots might be willing to give you Nelson Aguilar. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, it's the John Oliver, like, cool meme. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like, I, okay, fine. Um, I would just sign Will Fuller at that point. And I think, like, Will Fuller is their sort of, like, the ace in their back pocket because they're just, maybe not even ace. He's like an eight of hearts in, in your back pocket. Um, and Matt LaFleur loves him. And they tried to trade for him, like, one and a half times. Uh, and it came close. Uh, was it, was it in 20? Um, yep. and so, and I, I heard that was even closer than it was reported. Um, that the Packers were really pushing for that, that Matt LaFleur spent the whole week in prep going like, this guy is the guy. Um, he got suspended, but, right? I'm sorry. Then he didn't get suspended right yes, after that. Immediately suspended. As soon as right. the trade down that pass did not play another game. He was hurt and then got suspended. Um, so sort of a blessing and then was a free agent. So sort of a blessing in disguise that the Packers did not go that route. Um, like the Claypool thing is interesting to me. What about Brandon cooks? I, I know that he said he wants to stay in Houston, but there is that familiarity there and losing is only fun for very short times. Like I know that he wants his family to be there, but if it's only for half a season and he has a chance to help a team really, really compete and contend, in an offense that he knows with a coach that he knows, like, I just, I, I think that there could be a fit there, you know, in a week as we get closer to the trade deadline in 10 days, whatever it is. Cause we're what, two weeks away from the trade deadline. Um, that is, that is a name that I do think actually moves the needle for the Packers. Um, and then, you know, they, they don't seem that interested in moving him, but I would, I would move heaven and earth to get DJ Moore. Because he's under contract. The Panthers have no use for him. And he's expensive. And so the Packers can, and he's he's cheap this year. So he's sort of perfect for Green Bay. 
because he's very cheap this year, gets a little progressively more expensive, and most of the money the Panthers are going to have to eat on the trade. So he actually becomes reasonably priced in his future years. He might want a new contract in two years. Okay, then maybe you trade him in two years if Aaron Rodgers is retiring or whatever whatever the case is. I think you, you want to find guys who either really move the needle as short-term rentals, like a Brandon Cooks, or someone who can be a centerpiece for you. Now, generally speaking, there aren't that many teams willing to give up those centerpieces. Caroline is the one team that just fired their coach. Their owner is annoyed at what's going on and might be willing to just say, yeah, give us a first round pick. Give us the AJ Brown deal and you can have DJ Moore. And if I'm the Packers, you right the wrong of not being in on the AJ Brown deal and you get DJ Moore. He's the perfect fit for this offense. Throw him those swing screens, throw him slants, RPOs all day. And then he can get down the field. Like he's just the absolute perfect fit in this offense. Um, and so that would be, that would be someone that I would target. I don't, I don't like Kendrick Bourne, fine. you know, like he's, he's useful. I think he can do like sort of what you'd want Sammy Watkins to be in a perfect world. But I don't, I don't know if that's really changing your outlook as a team. There's so many other things that I'm, that I'm more concerned about just getting fixed internally that those kinds of things are not where I'm, where I'm trying to, you know, find what's going on here. Is there, is there a name that really intrigues you? No, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, not that makes sense, right? Like DJ Moore is, if he becomes available, maybe, but I, like a part of it doesn't me seem hesitant. like he's available. So no, it doesn't. I mean, a part of me is hesitant of like, do you really want to pump a bunch of future draft picks in this team right now? Like if you get DJ Moore, like you, you better make sure that you're competing like extremely competing in the playoffs if you're making that type of move. Um, and then but Andy, like, aren't you the same guy who said that they, they, the Packers have never really truly opened a window for contention? Like, don't you want to no, see them try? I do. If I think they can fix the offensive line issues and some of those things, <laughs> so you're just like, not yeah. as bullish on this team as you were six weeks ago. That's, that's very true. I think that's true, but like, I, I wouldn't hate it. I'll, I'll put it that way. I would just, I would, it, it would give me like, it would give me pause to be like, Hey, let's pump a bunch of more future picks into this team to try to make this work right now, but not opposed to it, but that would probably be the one I'll, I'll ask you this. And then I want you to plug everything you're working on, um, including where we can follow you on Twitter. But if, if the Panthers call and said DJ Moore's on the table, what's the most you would uh, give us? What, what would be your answer to the most you would give up for DJ Moore? I think the AJ Brown deal was what a one and a four. Yeah. One and a four, like early four or something like that. I think that's, that's workable. Um, especially because you don't unlike with the Eagles have to redo the deal. He just signed that deal. So assuming he doesn't want to, to get a new contract and assuming the Panthers would actually be willing to do that. Yeah. One and a four. And I think, I think in the same way that like OBJ would, would most boost a team like the Packers and the Rams, I think DJ Moore would be the most valuable to green Bay in a lot of the same ways that AJ Brown ends up being incredibly valuable to the Eagles, just because of all of their offenses based on RPOs and those play action glance routes, like that. He's just such a killer on, um, I think DJ Moore is in that same sort of position where he could come in and, and he would be more valuable to green Bay because of how he would elevate their offense in, in this championship window where I don't know the rest of the NFC kind of sucks. So, you know, like I would, that, that's, that would be the biggest reason for me to be like, go for it. Cause you're going to have teams like, you know, the, the lions feeling like, Oh, we're in this. And you know, some of these, like the Falcons, the Falcons are going to feel like they're a playoff team. Yep. Because and and they might go like, hey, let's go try and do this because who knows? And and the Giants probably are, are going to be a playoff team. Like at a certain point, it's just math. Yeah. 
Like they're five and one. They're they're going to make the playoffs. Just like the numbers say they're going to make the playoffs. Why wouldn't they add? Now, I would also call on Kadarius Tony. Apparently, he's a knucklehead, but the Packers liked him in the draft. And I don't know. What is it? Is, is the offense going to be worse if he's out there? I don't know. Maybe. But it, if you can get him for nothing, I don't know, it'd be worth a call. It'd be something interesting to me, at least. He can return punts. That is something <laughs> that is, that is something that they could definitely use. I will go as far as to say, whatever the, the deal would end up being Peter, I would even throw in Amari Rogers to sweeten the deal uh, just to put everything right over. The- I'm kidding. Uh, Peter, where can we follow you on Twitter? Tell us all about lockdown Packers. And- uh, Peter underscore Bukowski is the Twitter handle. Um, the leap, wherever you get pot or wherever you get um, newsletters, which is at the leap.substack.com. So not wherever, just at that specific URL, you can get it. Uh, put your email in there. Um, free on Mondays. It is pay the rest of the time, but we give you a great deal if you sign up for the year. Um, and then um, obviously Locked on Packers, wherever you find podcasts, we're on YouTube. Um, and that's five days a week during the season, four-ish days a week in the off season, except for the one month of the year I get vacation. So uh, thanks to everyone who is um, following along and and um, hanging out. And so we, uh, we, 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 all of us as Packers content creators appreciate everything that the fans bring for us because they, they allow us and I'll speak for Andy that uh, they, they allow us to have fun doing this. And so we wouldn't do this every day as Andy and I do, if we didn't have a lot of fun doing it, if we didn't have a lot of respect for the fans and just like love being a part of this community and engaging with everybody. So um, thanks to everyone that supports both of these shows, because it, it means a lot to, to me and I'm sure it means a lot to Andy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that. I appreciate you saying that. And make sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Packers and Packaging Podcast on YouTube. Tom Grossi is trying to monopolize the entire YouTube scene. Uh, you know, he's getting like, yeah, it's, it's just a classic Tom Grossi, you know, like hundreds of millions of viewers at a given moment. Right? But, uh, you know, share some of the wealth Grossi. Some of us have, you know, most people as well. So make sure you subscribe to Lockdown and Packaging. Oh, I lost a light. Come on, Tom. I yeah, need to keep the lights let, on. Let to get away with this. All right, Peter, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. At Peter underscore Bukowski, at Andy from NFL, at Packaday Podcast. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.